This is the 66th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berhards. With me are my dear co-hosts, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Well, welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, hi, how do you do? Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 6 and 6, the number of the episode. Execute episode 66. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In this episode, we will talk about some paper legacy played recently, as well as looking at some paper legacy that will be played soon by Robert and Christopher. The season finals of the Stockholm Legacy League are coming up, and it is hence time for us to meta game. But retrospect first, Robin, how was last week's paper play? Well, I had another week of playing Nyadepts, obviously. That's how I roll these days. And uh, the results, yeah, you guessed it. It's another 3-1 that I'm here to (laughs) report. I started out with a matchup that I have not played before. I was matched up against High Tide. The Sorcery Speed Spiral Tide version. And uh, I think this is a real bad matchup because a lot of my... Hate cards such as Collector Oof doesn't really do anything. Of course, the Blasts can be good, but they are packing a lot of counter magic for themselves. And I guess my strongest card in the sideboard is the Deafening Silence. You're not rocking chokes? I am rocking chokes. That's a great yeah, card in yeah, that matchup. Yeah, that, that feels like the <laughs> against the Mono Island deck. That is true. That is true. In game one, I I had only one plan because no sideboard cards, of course. So it was fast Merit Leech and I was ready to make Merit Leech uh, the turn when he went off. Like there's some odds involved, of course, in high tide. You have to hit the right cards in your draw sevens, but he managed to do that. And in game two, I think my inexperience maybe punished me because, as you said, I boarded in some cards that do something. And maybe I could build like the the game plan around them. Especially since you get to draw new cards from the spirals. Uh, So even if you have a hand with not so much interaction, keeping up mana for the Red Blast can be uh, game winning. Also like depending on how his hand is. But if he like brain freezes me, also enduring myself can be a way to come back. But I went again for the fast merit plan, which meant that I didn't have the crucial mana up for interactive spells and I think that may have been the wrong way to play the matchup maybe I should have played it a little bit more controlly and less like rushing for the, the Merit Leech, I'm not sure Well I'm, I'm not I'm not sure like most of High Tide's matchups from what I've heard and seen uh, you know, uh, their biggest problems are usually, you know, permanent based hate yeah. and I Adept isn't really running a lot of that so I, I don't think it's wrong going for a fast merit yeah it's just it can be a super tough matchup like you mentioned so i yeah i don't think it's necessarily wrong yeah maybe you, you're supposed like to burn the blasts on something like merchant scroll like you don't you don't hold it up for the combo turn you just try to slow them down and make a fast merit leech i'm not sure how to play this matchup but uh, i lost zero two anyway after that i got a little bit lucky in my pairings i was Facing Death Shadow, which is quite a good matchup. Your Swords of Plowshare deck, and you have a combo win that they really can't interact too much with. And also, the fair beatdown plan is quite strong because, like, they are relying on big creatures, but like, I got big creatures on my own, and I don't kill myself half dead in in getting those big creatures in play. So that was a, a 2 0 for me. And then after that, I was paired against a blue red Delver 
which I also succeeded to 2-0. Game 1 was a little bit shaky. I was at 3 or 2 life and beating down with the fair knight plan. And he was frantically digging for a bolt to finish me off, but didn't find it. So that was lucky for me. In game 2, I know there's some like discussions on the sideboard plan with Knight Adepts against Delver. But I'm keeping my Moxes in. I know some people are boarding it out, but I like the tempo that it provides. And I think he started like turn 1 Delver, and I got to play Mox, Wasteland, Waste him, and like end his Delver. Or if I played a Reclaimer on my own or something like that, just swing the match completely in half. And, and he got stuck on no lands for a bit, so oh. that was a, a nasty, nasty way to win that game. And then in the finals, I was matched up against sort of a Esper Splashing Red Mentor deck. That was quite cool. He had this new black card that I think you, Christopher, have been talking about. It's a instant speed draw two, where you get to look at the number of uh, lands types that you have in. Oh, hell yeah. Shadow Prophecy. Shadow yeah, Prophecy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's not even draw. You look at the top X cards and then you put them into hand. So it gets through Narset and Hullbreacher and all that shit. Super cool. Yeah, so this matchup was insane because he had Mentors as his win con and I had all my six removal in my deck since it was game one. And he got ahead on cards and uh, like he could dress down when I had uh, my safekeeper in play so that I couldn't protect neither the safekeeper nor Merit Lage. So like I gained a lot of life through his sword plowshares and I dealt with all his threats and then we just like presented threats and he killed them. <laughs> so it actually ended up with him drawing all his deck and dying from not having cards left in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. So as you can probably imagine, we didn't have a lot of time after that. <laughs> <laughs> so like in game two, I got to get a, a quite fast win. And then in game three, we couldn't finish the game but I had the like the better board state and he scooped to me for, for that, uh, which was very nice of him. Super interesting matchup and really hard, much harder than what I felt like many of the other control decks have been. Maybe because of all the dress downs that really got me. It was a cool deck to play against. So another 3-1. Deck feels still very strong and I'm still learning it and... Hopefully getting a little bit better at it as well. So now when you've played against Shadow Prophecy, what was your experience with it? Was it like, did it feel underwhelming or was it like at the right power level? I felt like it was the right power level. Like the, I have always liked those instant speed draw cards because you can put them in a very interactive deck. The thing about Legacy nowadays, it's more of a like a jam format. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, so I'm not sure. really sure how important like that holding up mana, its instant speed is. I think it would have been even better in a format where that kind of playstyle were more stronger. But it felt like a, a real good card. It's easy on the mana to play. It's just one black and uh, you have to pay two life. Sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. Maybe it's good in a Uro deck or something where you can recoup some of that lost mana. But it seemed very strong. And as you said, it goes around some of the hates out there, the Halbreachers and our sets, with, which are very popular. So I, I think it's a good draw spell. And also Shieldred, eh? Hey, right, yeah, right, gets right. around Shieldred. 
They, you only take two from the spell itself rather than four from the two cards mm-hmm. you would put in your hand. Right. But yeah, that's that's super cool. Like uh, the game one when your opponent like was decking themselves, you definitely should have been like, I'm going to endurance target you because this game is too exciting. Just no, keep it, I, keep it, it was going. Like, it, it was his his game to win and my game to just like stall because he had like infinite answers and uh, yeah. But yeah, cool. So you're uh, you, you've been super consistent this league. I think both of us have only three one records. Yeah, uh, this league. So that's cool. We're representing. No, it's really cool. I mean, I was traveling for work to Amsterdam last week, uh, and that's why I couldn't play. Usually I just have sort of family engagements and stuff, but now I was on a business trip. And I was staking out sort of potential legacy shenanigans in Amsterdam before I went, but nothing on the schedule that I could find for those days. And Christopher, you were a folk metal drummer for a night last week so no paper play for you either eh? <laughs> yeah no no paper play for me one of my classmates asked me at the beginning of uh, of the master's program like i'm gonna put you on the spot could you be a drummer for a live show we have in october and i was like i barely listened to your music but okay <laughs> but uh, yeah it was super fun but i i missed a, a league a league first day but it was super worth it had a great Very time cool. and victor why would you look up legacy events if you're going to amsterdam man just enjoy yourself i am an adult now no i was working the whole time i was i had no time for anything else it was you know good fun work and actually parts of this work took place on a boat so i went on sort of a canal trip but it was amsterdam at its best rainy cloudy dark wet fantastic In a short while from now, there will be a Stockholm Legacy League Season Finals, which is a Season 16-person tournament played over five rounds of Swish, usually, with a top eight and all the bragging rights in the world after that. You two are both qualified, and uh, the question then is, what can we expect from the Stockholm meta at the moment, and how should you prepare? Right, so if you remember from last week when we were... uh talking about the the Austrian meta. They they just added up the, the league points and decided who is the winner, but in Stockholm instead we have the top 16 players that are duking it out in an invitational tournament. And this is, of course, it's, it's very fun to play in an invitational tournament because you know exactly what the competition is. So you can like meta game on a very detailed level. And there's, of course, some shenanigans that can be going on like people choosing weird decks to try to combat the predicted meta so it's 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 a very fun experience and procedure to like try to choose your deck build your sideboard maybe you should play some weird cards in your main deck that you wouldn't do in an open meta like that kind of stuff is really fun yeah for sure like we had our last playoffs right before covid it was super exciting. Breach was still legal and uh, took it all down. Yeah. Uh, Robin had some fist fighting with, with our reigning champion. Some very tight games. And this is a really fun time to just play things that you normally wouldn't. Uh, I remember I played a Clothis Sheck Pile deck. 
oh, that right. I really enjoyed. Cool. Yeah, with him and everything it was super nice. It was actually just glorified blue jund, but you know that's pretty much what checkpile can be sometimes when you when you need it to be. Yeah, and I, I think I was playing like a Ragdelver leftover deck from the Ren and Six that was just banned recently there. So <laughs> it, it was a weird meta and it, it wasn't so close in the finals because that like that deck just stomped. Yeah, Breach is probably one of the strongest decks Legacy has ever had. Yeah, fucking crazy. Easiest ban ever. Okay, whatever. So what do you think we can expect this time around? We have uh, compiled the meta. I think we have a few slots that maybe differ, but like on a on a on a grand level, we are something like three Delver players, three spell based combo, one the Epic Storm, one Doomsday, which could also be Ant, and one Omnitel, and three control decks probably: one Jeskai, one Grixis, and one Stoneblade. Three creature-based combo, a Luren, that's what I'm putting Christopher on. <laughs> one food cover, chain. Cover your ears, fellow combatant <laughs> like combatants. One food chain and one elves. And then land-based, there's one Naya player, except for me, who are I, I guess people would put on Naya at this point. So two Yeah, let's let's face it. <laughs> probably probably two Naya. High yeah. high probability. High probability. And then there's a player that I think will choose Painter. Could also be Lance. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Mr. Trophy. Then a Stompy deck, which I call like the, the Grove, the Burnwill of Stompy. And the red and green. Jukalops and Boo. Yeah, exactly. That's a <laughs> exactly. Jukalops and just, Boo. <laughs> it's, it's a great, great Bukalops. deck. I have dodged it for so long, but I know I'm going to run into it very soon. Right. So so this is not so different from our like ordinary meta. But when I'm looking at this meta game, I'm really unsure about Naya Depths because I see three rather good matchups, the Delver matchups alike, and uh, I think I can like best the control matchups as well. But I think I'm quite a dog to the three spell-based decks, and I think I'm also quite bad against the creature-based combo decks. That's like Six good matchups and six bad matchups and three that are a toss-up, I think. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's it's tricky, you know. Um, you have gotten a lot of nice tools and those kind of only make your already okay or pretty good matchups better. Mm. What this means is that maybe you can dedicate even more sideboard stuff for those other things that are are a bit troublesome. Yeah. Absolutely. There is no one going to play D&T in this meta. No. The deck is dead. <laughs> Our game store meta is not usually super kind to to D&T. Like D&T is really healthy in a in a Delver meta, I would say. Like yeah. they they are really good against that and we are mid-range hell and if yeah. you're bringing a white deck to that, it, you might run into trouble. I mean, I've I've lost to D&T not as much with a learn, but with other decks. So it's it's tricky. But I think one of the backups, because we have three people pending if people can't show up. And the first one to get a slot is an Esper Vile player. The second player, I think, is DNT. And then the third player is another painter who's currently in the lead of our new league now. So how, how do you like this meta for Aluren, which is your go-to deck, Christopher? I actually think this is a pretty good Aluren meta. Mm-hmm. What I'm basing that on is pretty much the... So so the scariest bracket is for sure 
the spell-based combo corner yeah. and the and the Grove Stompy, like the Groove Stompy mm-hmm. deck. Because the latest configuration that I've played with, you know, Zero Acerax, it just plays so many stupid blockers and it doesn't play Abrupt Decay in the deck at all, like not even in the sideboard, because it's not a great... It doesn't do what you need it to do in the deck right now. Mm. If you're not relying on being able to combo kill your opponent, then removing a certain piece isn't as important. You have some brazen borrowers that can add tempo and remove something temporarily, or you have, you know, your uh, Edder Chandler, which I've been really happy about. They're right, it bounces. Re- a really good card. Yeah, it bounces like non-land permanent. Mm. So you can even bounce a planeswalker. Like it's pretty it's pretty close to Baron, but has a bit more range in, in this deck. So it's actually only like four four players that I'm quite scared of. Uh, okay, and the Elves player. Elves definitely has the upper hand against mm. uh, Alluran. It's a little bit faster, right? Yeah, it's a bit faster, and it's a bit more consistent. It's easier to get their thing going, mm. while in that matchup, I'm specifically digging for three or four cards in the deck, which is the Alurans, and uh, you know, getting there is quite scary. But I think this is a pretty good meta for Alluran, and I also think that it could be a pretty good meta for fast doomsday with childreds. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things I'm looking at because the decks like the matchups you would bring in Shieldred against are like the the Delvers and the control players. And the rest Doomsday is pretty good against, besides Painter. <laughs> Which is a nightmare. So I actually think like that's a solid uh, second pick for me if I can yeah. borrow some shieldreds or something. But I'm probably going to stick with my guns and play a learn at this event. Like I've been playing this latest 75 quite a bit, and I think it's it's a lot of fun. Like even if I would lose, it's still such a you know fun time. Yeah, like one one thing that is on my mind is of course uh, what would the eight cost meta be and. If I'm counting the, the the decks that might run Meltdown, I only count the Delver decks, the Jeskai deck, and the Grixis deck. There are more red decks, but they won't play, play Meltdown, I think. So that's, of course, an, an option. Like, five decks out of 16 is not a lot, and the other hate cards are much more beatable, I should say. You can beat the Null Rod, for instance, and, like, Kataki or that kind of stuff is not that uh, terrifying. It's not use. impossible. No. So that's an option as well. I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, uh, I do think that Meltdown does something that, for instance, Pernicious D doesn't do at the same capacity, which is you are, in some scenarios, able to wipe a lot of things turn two. Yeah. Uh, if you played for one, like you could someone, like X equals one, you could get a, a Chalice, a Mox, perhaps even a land sometimes and that's so brutal early because uh, it's super easy to stumble on mana with that deck and uh, yeah meltdown definitely makes a big difference there compared to like pernicious deed or the kataki yeah or like seed of innocence and they are a little bit slower and meltdown is also always paired with like force of wheels of their own or maybe red blast so like it's it's easier to push through than some of the non the cards that are played in non-blue decks so to say they are easier to counter
in a known meta, in quotation marks, such as this one, but also where you, because this is a local game store league, basically all of you guys playing in this season finale know each other, you've played each other quite a few times. How much would you say it affects your choice of deck, your strategies or tactics, knowing the players, sort of, uh, not only knowing their decks and the meta, but knowing the players... And also, do you think that there would be an opportunity to sort of just go rogue here and arrive with sort of mono black helm or, you know, anything out of that category? Like for me, I think if if you have a deck in your repertoire that you are sort of proficient with, I think you can go rogue with that, so to say. I don't think it's a good idea to bring an untested deck with just the surprise factor as your as your ace, so to say. I think you need to also be able to play the deck very well. So for me, I think 8-cast could be that kind of deck that I... I have the reps with it. I haven't played it a lot lately, but I've played it quite a lot in the past, and it's it's a good deck in, in an unexpected meta. So I think that works for me. But I would not bring something like Mono Black Helm because I think I would just stumble and not know what to do. Yeah, I I have a history of bringing Bruce to uh, to playoffs. Mm. Um, like uh, two league playoffs ago, I brought like uh, the uh, Goblin Food Chain. And this was long before Muxus and those cards. It was exactly when Squee was printed. I like those things, but the problem of playing those decks, like Robin said, like having being really efficient and knowing a lot of lines, being able to paint a small probability tree in your head about what could happen from certain scenarios, being able to do that quickly can really mitigate you from making, you know, mitigate bad decisions. But for instance, like I think a lot of people would probably put me and Robin on the decks that we are going to play. If Robin would play, for instance, eight cast and i would play doomsday i don't think people would would be super surprised but they might that might mess a bit with their preparation yeah but i think if for instance both robin and i would turn up with uh, blue red delver that would probably shock a lot of people but it's also one of the reasons why i haven't mentioned you know i i i said doomsday as my you know second to go to deck and that's because this meta is really hostile towards Delver, so I, I'm not I, I'm not feeling great about picking playing that. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, the question you asked uh, Victor about the players, I think that you can you can probably think of two or three players that you are almost certain to have to go through if you are mm-hmm. planning yeah. to yeah. to win this ter- this tournament. Uh, so you ha- maybe you have to prepare a little bit extra for those matchups if you can figure out what they might play. So so that matters a bit. So you have like your your entire meta of the 16 players, but you also have this like champion meta so to say that you have to think about as well. Yeah, and I think one one thing that is really nice with these closed metas, it's kind of like the opposite of what what uh, sideboarding process I went into going to uh, North Shopping at Inven- Invasion Games. Because there I was like, I'm just going to super prepare for what I think is the strongest matchup in the, well, like the, the strongest deck in the Legacy metagame, which was Delver. So I prepared a lot, of, a lot for that. Uh, but now instead, I can look at these decks and see, okay, so there are like five to six matchups that I'm not super happy about they're not terrible like some of them are terrible but 
I can make an extremely greedy sideboard for just those. And then if I run into, you know, let's say uh, Naya Depths or something like that, I'm already playing a deck that has a really strong sideboarded games. So I, I do think that you have an opportunity to play an even greedier sideboard in this in this meta, which I think is really good if you're if you're on a a pretty much uh, not all in plan, but if you're playing a very streamlined deck, being able to just convert it into something very nasty for the opponent afterwards, I think that can be really strong here. So like, yeah, for, for Naya Depths, I mean, if you would be super scared to play against elves, let's say if you predicted three elves players to show up, mm. how much convincing would it have to take to you to play two tabernacles in the sideboard <laughs> i don't own two i i would definitely play one and maybe like a pyroclasm or something like that that just sweeps it up and my big butt guys would probably survive a pyroclasm yeah for sure yeah but i would definitely meta like that if if there were three strong elves player that always play elves i would definitely have a hateful sideboard for them probably squeeze in a plague engineer in the main deck if that was the case, like three out of six, no, three out of 15 opponents, I would definitely squeeze one in the main just for good measure. There are some tweaks you can do here and there. And also like if you're playing a deck like eight cast and you are, okay, that's a pretty bad example because eight cast is a pretty solid, has a really solid main deck. Like it's very hard to make good adjustments. But if you play a deck for instance with uh, where Mox Diamonds or Birds of Paradise is usually something you board out and you see that it's gonna be the case for 10 out of 15 possible matchups then maybe the deck choice from the beginning is not super solid or perhaps you can make adjustments early on like before going to the tournament maybe not maybe maybe playing the diamonds in the sideboard or something really weird yeah when like when looking at this uh, meta it feels like the like the graveyard hate is not all that necessary. There's no reanimator. There's no. I mean, it could be a reanimator. Like some, some, some. Yeah, there could be one. <laughs> I yeah. I'm looking at that player. There could be one. <laughs> yeah, and and like like people can also surprise everybody with dredge, I guess. But looking at the most expected meta, it doesn't feel like graveyard hate is all that necessary. Ne- neither is strong artifact hate, except for against the painter player. Maybe you can shave a little bit on those and and try to... I think the red blasts look really strong here, for instance. That's my best chance against both food chain and allure, and I think is just try to blast the creatures on the stack when you're trying to go off, for instance. So I might go up to four blast effects. <laughs> Hate to see it, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> hate to play, don't hate the game. But yeah, I think we can we can make some really cool adjustments to our lists, and uh, we'll see exactly what we play. And you listeners will hear more about that in another episode. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And that is all we have for this week. If you would like to compare the Stockholm meta to yours, feel free to do so in a nice spreadsheet you can post in our Discord server. If you're a member there, you can find a link in this episode description. In addition to the Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter at STHLM Legacy. And we are also present personally on some social media as well. Mostly Twitter. Robin, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jacka underscore Boo. 
And you can find me at MonolithMTG. And you can find me on Twitter at DiscoDrogo under the same nickname in selected Discord channels. And that is the end of the 66th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson C. and Christopher Wikström. Special thanks to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this deep dive in a very local meta. The great Frenes has written our music. You can find their work on Spotify. And until next episode, never split, never surrender.